0: Hello and welcome to episode three of the Mindsets podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by another guest, a Paralympian, a world champion cyclist, and a man with many stories to tell about how he's transitioned from different classifications all while having an impairment. Before we get into the episode though, I want to make you aware of Samaritans. You may have heard of the Samaritans before, however, they offer a mental health service that not enough people take advantage of. It's completely free and it's available 24-7. You can call them on 116 123, or you can email them at joe at samaritans.org. That's j o at samaritans.org. They don't currently have an online web chat service, but they are working on that as hard as they can. The Samaritans won't give you any unsolicited advice. They're mainly there to listen and help you get through any of your struggles you might be having. Without further ado, let's get into episode three. Of the mindsets podcast welcome back so uh today i'm joined by sam ruddock um better than me trying to explain anything about who you are i assume you know a lot better uh, i said that in the last episode as well so um go ahead who is sam ruddock i would hope i know more about me than yeah <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we're going to
1: struggle um so sam ruddock is a professional track cyclist yeah um as of count of last year when i came on to uk sport funding but for the past couple of years i've been amateur but, okay. work, but working um as a, as a mentor in schools yeah um so now fully professional and that is where i spend most of my time training and uh, training and competing for great britain uh, the para cycling team
0: specifically so quite a big sort of role there a lot of people a lot of people may have already heard of you some some won't necessarily have done big time um there's different levels to the cycling i've I've been and looked through some of the the cycling events for the paralympics and for the world champs there's different categories i know there's letters attached to them i know there's numbers attached to them is there a way that you could sort of translate that for myself and other people that may be watching obviously. so
1: that that's one of the things about Paralympic sport is that from a spectator's perspective you have to understand what you're seeing yeah. and a lot of that is around understanding and and representation through classification. So every single, every different para sport has a different classification system, which right. doesn't help from a spectator's perspective. But they're trying to make it more accessible. Yeah. No pun intended. Um, so in cycling, it goes C is 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 the first letter. So C meaning cycling. Yeah. Um, obviously, and then you've got from one to five. So one is the most severe impaired class. So right. those are the athletes that are primarily really affected in, in their legs. They could be missing a limb, both limbs. Mainly, mainly in the legs, or there could be a neurological impairment there, like mine, which is cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, so you've got that. So they're the most impaired riders, and it goes all the way up from two, three, four, and five. And five is the the least affected riders. So those are riders with say, uh, clubfoot or talipes, or maybe they're missing. Maybe they're missing only one limb. So they're, they're, they're so they're attached. So one part of them is fully attached to the bike at all times. But for all intents and purposes, they're able bodied. They they don't have any impairment that would restrict them neurologically or, or, or fatigue them as quickly as say my disability would. So that's why they're in a higher class, and I'd be in a in a lower class.
0: Okay. So in in your class, you obviously cerebral palsy is a condition that you're you're born with. Mm-hmm. Um, in your class, you don't have any crossover with people, but have a disability that they have. Gained at some point in their life or anything like that?
1: There, there is certainly potential for that. So, when I was in athletics yeah. and I competed as, as a 35, which again is the, is the most severe class that athletes can compete standing up, so they're ambulance. So, right. I competed against athletes that had acquired their cerebral palsy. At a later okay. date through either a stroke or an accident oh, and naturally okay. they're going to be more able than i am in terms of their physical capabilities because they have full muscle development full the pathways are, are probably better developed than mine than mine are because mine's congenital from birth so there'll be restrictions there but not as much as what i would experience so naturally they're going to have an advantage over me because they've acquired their cerebral palsy whereas i was born with mine so that that's where that's what a lot of people if you if you dip right down into the classifications there's certain nuances there that can explain why one athlete is better than the
0: other right okay so there is yeah there's even though there are those classifications there's still some extra stuff in there extra stuff that can but I, I've spoken at, with a bit of a taintive view about about
1: Paris sport at the minute there are there are genuine there are genuine cases of where there are there are genuine athletes in the sport yeah. and they're winning and they're, they're doing what they're doing because they are an athlete. Because despite their impairment, they, they still train just as hard and, and dedicate themselves just as much as any other athlete would. And they're, they're winning because they deserve to win, not necessarily because they're more able than, than, their, than their
0: opponents. So, okay. With sport in general, though, obviously you've got your classification now that you're at that competitive level. When you were younger and we're sort of going right the way back to being a kid, did you have any interest in sport or has it been a more recent sort of adulthood kind of thing how did it all sort of start it
1: yes. was a le- it was a very late development um I didn't really start playing sport regularly until my, my teenage years um at school it was mainly you know like foot like football I'd put the, put the jumpers down play football in the playground now because of my cerebral palsy and how it affects my legs I to, to kick and run at the same time is quite difficult because that requires a lot of neuro motor control. So doing two things at once is very, very difficult. Um, but I could be a decent keeper because all I had to do was like move from side to side, jump one way, dive the other way, and I could use my hands. So I was a, I was a better keeper at school than I was playing like out front, maybe as a striker or, or a midfielder. And as a result of that, I gravitated more towards basketball in like when I was fourteen, fifteen, um, and then from sixteen onwards, I went to a different school. And rugby was was the prevalent sport, so that's so that's where I started playing uh, contact sports and more basketball and more cricket. So I kind of threw myself into everything that I could, but it was mainly a way to unwind and relax from studying. It wasn't, um, and just to keep my mind my mind healthy. It wasn't really a, a way to Uh, ascertain acquire a career
0: right so it it being sort of quite a relaxed like you said it was a bit of an escape from sport and stuff I, I used to do the same when I was I remember getting home from school I used to kick a ball in my garden for hours I used to go and throw a tennis ball at a wall I obviously competed well not competed but played for my sports teams and stuff like that did you find it difficult to integrate into those teams as a young kid with cerebral palsy,
1: sometimes. Um, but I think I also enjoyed playing team sports because so I was able to mask my own inabilities versus my friends and kind of blend into the background and contribute where I thought where I thought I could or where I was comfortable to and able to. Um, whereas in in an in individual sport, for example, like like sport, I hated sports day athletics, which is ironic because my first para games, my first Paralympic games, was in athletics. Um, but I hated athletics because it was very obvious that uh, when it came to running jumping or throwing I was always going to finish last because no one else had the disability that I did so right. the individual sports I stayed away from and the team sports I gravitated more towards for that reason.
0: Did you find that that was a way because you could find your specific strength and obviously in team sports you need a variation of strength mm. rather than having to manage everything yourself where it could be more of a challenge for you mm, yeah because as you have sort of grown up and you've got to where you are now you've obviously gone to more towards more solo stuff mm. what ended up driving you that way I guess what really took you away from team sport to going into more solo style sport Uh,
1: I I think it's it's very difficult to get into a team sport uh on the Paralympic side of things unless you've been in the sport for a very long time and have experience and skills within that sport so let's say wheelchair rugby wheelchair basketball um those those are a lot a lot of the team sports Paralympic sport are seated events Right. and i've worked incredibly hard on my body um my my mum did when i was little we did loads of physio in the nhs like so so much work has gone into me to make me as able as i am today despite having cerebral palsy that for me to sit and compete in a team sport i think would just be the biggest slap in the face to everything right to everything it's everything that's ever been invested in me i think i just it just would be the right thing to do now even though i sit on a bike um, that's very very different to, to a wheelchair sport um, so I think that's, that's probably why I, I, I like to take the elements of team sport into individual sports something mm-hmm. I'm always trying to tell my teammates about even though we're individual riders we we are we are a team we're Great Britain we compete as a team and I'm trying to bring that ethos what 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 I took from t-sports to school and what, what I took from football um, I try and bring that into, into my into my uh, my processes
0: so just briefly you also you touched on because I love that you're you're able to sort of transfer that and obviously from what I've met of you you really try to bring that into everything and I think that's part of your character. What I wanted to slightly roll back on is in your you mentioned you had a lot of physio as a kid do you think that I'm, I'm struggling to think about the impact that it could have is it a is it a negative impact because you feel like you needed all of this physio as a kid or is it do you feel it built a foundation for you to sort of trust your body and you know what your body can do as a result of it? It's,
1: it's hard to know because my physio through child development stopped when I was around 9, 10 years old. So it didn't okay. con- didn't it didn't continue late into my... So I guess I used sport as, as physio. When I, grew, when I grew older and when, when I was a teenager. But I know, I vividly have stories being told to me by my mum that, you know, I'd be sat on the floor with the physio and because my knees were always, like, inwards and they'd literally be stuck together, it's quite common with cerebral palsy, um, the idea was to kind of stretch them out, flex them out and get the, get the hip flexors and get the adductors working and that required them being pulled apart often with physical force which is going to cause a lot of pain and a, lot and a, and a, and a lot and a lot of tears. Yes. So you've got to so you've got to be sat there as a parent thinking this this is physically hurting my my child but I, and and there are there are times where i wanted to stop it from happening but i knew i knew it was going to be for your benefit so i let it i let it happen and those are stories that she tells me um, uh quite often So i knew i knew it would benefit you in the future and there's a lot there's so i talk so much about parents and and uh, and schooling and the idea of helico- of helicopter parenting you know the idea that you can't you know you need to be there by that child's side all the time 24/7 but that's they that they need to learn lessons for themselves sometimes in the right circumstances with the right supervision, which is no different, which is no different to the coaching um here at the here at the university. It's no different to it, players have to learn lessons about what will happen on the field in, in the right environment, in a controlled situation, and they have to learn that for themselves. So I think that's something that I've learned from that from that experience.
0: So you have obviously just moved uh, on to coaching, which is now quite a big thing for you. Uh for those watching this, um Sam is currently wearing a Loughborough Aces hoodie. Do you want to reference how you got to the Loughborough Aces, who the hell they are, and what sort of stepping stone that might have been?
1: Um, so I, I played a lot of Madden um, on my Xbox, as a lot of people did, and that's often how they how they get into the sport. So it was basketball first, and then I thought, oh, let's buy the other... No, it was, it was ESPN 2K. Two thousand and four, ESPN, yeah, yeah. ESPN two K. So it was, but it wasn't two K. It was just ESPN. So it was ESPN right. basketball, then ESPN football, and ESPN ice hockey. I bought more. I thought, let's just learn the rules of these games through playing through players through sports. And I came across football. The more I played it, the more I realized. Donovan McNabb was on the cover so that's that's why i'm an eagles fan because uh, <laughs> i was like oh my god and alan, alan iverson was also on the cover of, of the basketball one as well so philly was obviously running things mm-hmm. in 2000 in 2003 2004 showing my age now um but yeah it was through playing that sport that i, I started looking and at that time i was i was doing a levels and i was looking at my ucas my section 10 and thinking where well, do i don't want to go to uni now I, I was born in rugby went to school in rugby and I, I was looking at places that had strong politics departments but also decent sport because I wanted to carry on playing sport regularly so Loughborough was my first choice and Warwick was my second choice now thankfully I didn't end up playing for the White Rules, thank god otherwise I wouldn't be in this situation <laughs> however uh, I remember sending an email to the head coach at the time Jason Scott who's now head coach at Nottingham uh saying I've, I've played Madden I want to make chess and play football can I get involved and Back then, the sport was not as popular as it is now, even though you know people still watched and played football here, but nowhere near as popular as it is now. But that's how I got into it in my first year. I went to the AU Bazaar like everyone else does, came along, and one of the massive linemen, um, James Roberts, said, oh, you, you look pretty athletic. What do, you, what do you want to join the team and no one ever has called me athletic to my life before in my life before so that was uh that was a big ego boost so it just kind of went on from there that was in 2009 that's when the team was still called the Loughborough racists before they were rebranded rebranded as Loughborough students in 2013 I think
0: so how it, that's it's a similar time because I seem to remember one of your first F35 competitions at least that I saw on the internet was still in the early teens or the early 2010s so for you to have been at that level um in terms of Paralympic sports and that sort of thing how did you transition away from American football or was it there were two going on at the same time there were two going on at se- well
1: kind of two going on at the same time so I was talent spotted as it were it's almost like a combine setting so we were doing our 40 yard ER dash and three cone drill L drills at the high pack um, and Joe McDonnell, who was the sprint coach, who is now the head of Paris Sprints at Loughborough, he was there tra- uh, training his own his own coaching group. And he came up to me during the 40, during the forties and said, "Oh, you look pretty quick. Like and I've noticed you've got cerebral palsy." And no one, again, it's first time experiences. No one ever said you look pretty quick. And secondly, no one ever seen that I had the disability that I had because I always not I not always tried to hide it, but tried to make less of it. Like I tried to just 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 see me as a, as a as an all human being that just enjoys the sport. But he actually pointed out and said, "You're quick and you have cerebral palsy. So we can put these two things together and let's let's consider." Parasport let's consider sprinting this was in December of 2011 so we targeted the Paralympics we started sprinting our first race was at the Charmwood Open in Loughborough April 2012 but I was still playing football then and still trying to graduate so uh, for about six months during that year of 2012 I was doing both at the same time and then when the football season finished I graduated in well effectively finished exams in May that's when I essentially went full-time into sprinting and that's what led to the London 2012 games in August
0: sounds pretty hectic for a student (laughs) to sort of deal with i obviously (sighs) we've both been students i'm aware that course wise there are times where the work itself is a lot when you're juggling one sport that's a lot because you're also if you're trying to be at a good level you're obviously probably devoting some of your time to the gym as well um how are you handling gym and and yeah how, how are you handling gym alongside training for two sports and being a student uh
1: so to be completely honest gym wasn't really the focus my gym my gym regimen was nowhere near what it is now uh i only really started getting into the gym because of football um we we wanted to make our team (laughs) i remember so my first ever like pro gym program uh was a program called uh west west side for skinny boys but um It's a different name, but we'll call it boys for now. Um, uh, Joe Joe DeFranco, one of his programs online, which was forwarded to me by... A guy called Adam Hope, who played running back for Loughborough, um, and was probably one of the best I've ever seen run the, run the football. But anyway, he was the guy that drove a lot of us into the gym um, in my second year of playing football. So that's when I started to get acquainted with 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 strength conditioning and and, and tuning the body for specific events. But it really a lot of the time I didn't I, I, there wasn't really a focus. And and des- despite all of this as well, I forgot I was still working as a bar supervisor at, at the SU. Uh, So I was on so every Friday night I was on my feet from from seven till three till three in the morning checking out tills back back then we still we still used cash (laughs) at the the,
0: the SU. (laughs) So there's never been a desire to have any sort of free time.
1: Uh, no, I have a pathological need need to be busy, whether, whether it's to my detriment or to my success, I don't know yet. But it's something about me that everybody loves and hates, I would say. It's something I need to look at <laughs> in greater detail. Do you think
0: that might be part of the reason that when you... So as you started, you did track, right? And then you went into field events. Was that through wanting to try some other stuff because you might have been at the track anyway, had a bit of spare time, or was it actually, I think I'm more of a powerful athlete when it comes to uh, my upper body away from the track. Is that what the transition was, or was there just uh, an interest?
1: That was a push from the coaches within the the para team to to go into where we would have the most impact, essentially. So the sprinting was working, but the classification was moving forward incredibly quickly. To put it into context, my PB over the 100 metres is 13.75, and the world record at that time was 12.3 so that's the kind of that's kind of difference in impairments whereas the gap was much closer in shot put and throwing and they knew that i had had a stronger body um but uh, the common misconception around throws around any events so so whether it's whether it's um a drive in in golf or whether it's a pitch in baseball or a punch in boxing it or, or even a shot in cricket it all comes from the hips everything everything is led from the hip through that drive train through the ankle and the hip and and the knee and everything just finishes off with the hand. so it's the same with discus, shot hammer and javelin everything comes from the lower body is, is extended by the upper body um so but they did say that there'd be that you'd have more of an impact being a thrower than you would being a sprinter so that's that's how that transition happened and um it was difficult because again that was a change in training that was, certainly was more gym focused because it's all about power over a short space of time most throwers um in the olympic games and Paralympics, to to, the, to their credit, can body anybody over 20 metres, even a sprinter, to some extent. But any, any, any distance after that, they start to fall off because obviously they're not sprinters. But in terms of power-to-weight ratios over that very short distance, they can handle their own. So that's, that's kind of the transition. That, that's why it made sense to transition from sprints into throws.
0: Did you find it difficult to transition from, I'm a fast person and that's what I train for, to, hold on a minute, I need to stop. I need to stop, first of all, the way I train. Um, I need to change the way that I sort of approach my training around, around it. Because obviously when with running and sprinting, I'm aware from some sprint coaching that I've had that it, it feels like it uses all of your body to now you're doing power movement. So you're short and fast in your, in your training, but you're really focusing on the output of that, of that throw. How, how was that sort of side of things.
1: No you're you're absolutely right because it's there's long repetition in throws like you're throwing you're throwing a thing uh, 60 70 times in a session so that it's incredibly repetitive um, which can be quite mind numbing at some point especially if you're not having a good session and what you said about outcome is incredibly true as well like if you go into the throwing circle trying to get a distance you'll completely forget about the process you need to follow in the circle to achieve that distance and and you can the 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 visual feedback that you get is instantaneous like you know where that shot's landed so you have to deal with that on the next throw so it teaches you to have a a short-term memory you know a next play a next play mentality you know you've got to throw the thing and go okay it didn't go as far as i wanted to but if you keep focusing on it too much that's when sessions can really start to go wrong because you you come on i want to go further i want to go further i want to go further and you keep trying hard and trying hard in throws is just the complete reverse opposite of what you should do you need to be relaxed in control and powerful but there's a very fine line between being aggressive and being relaxed and you have to find that in throws because if you don't your sessions could be absolutely awful so yeah it's a completely different kind of trade. whereas in sprints yeah you've got a coach you've got a coach up there with the watch and stopping your splits but um it's, it's nowhere near as um as uh as, as impactful i say as as you actually seeing the result after every single throw so you've got that that, that's a challenge that you have to manage
0: Bad sessions are pretty normal I think and that's something that in sport generally experience comes from understanding that sometimes things aren't always perfect you ended up taking your your shot put to having a British record came second in the European Champs in 2015 and then you went to the Olympics and competed in Rio and, and came sixth how do you how you clearly dealt with the bad sessions to get to that point what was the process that you ended up finding worked for you to take you from someone that occasionally has these bad sessions to all of a sudden you're at the top of the the, the world, effectively?
1: Um, yeah, the 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 silver medal at Europeans was kind of a a rubber stamp moment, and the year previous to that, I'd gone to World Champs and thrown a PB, the first ever thrown in my life, which was again thirteen seventy five. So I got the same PB in in the one hundred a <laughs> shot. It's <laughs> weird how how life works that way. Um, yeah, it's it's fate. Um but with the with, with the throwing it, it what it came down to was just, just just relaxing and trusting trusting the training, trusting the sessions that we'd that we put in. Um and in actual fact when it came to Rio, that was a absolutely horrible experience like overall because my, my body was in the fittest shape it had ever been to and everyone's gonna call that everyone's gonna shout cliche when they hear this. But it's generally true, like my mind wasn't ready for those games. Not in any way, shape, or form. My, my 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 head was was at home, and my body was was on the plane going over to our holding camp, um, and I, I I went into the circle and. I just I saw the shot not going as far as I wanted it to, and I I I checked out before we even made it to to, to the Paralympic final. Uh, through a meter less than my PB. Um, yeah, my my brain just wasn't was wasn't in that state. Same thing happened again the following year, London 2017. Like I was so ready. I, I was in great shape. I put on so much muscle. My skin folds were down. I was I was in incredible shape. I was good to throw. It. But again, my mind was just so on fire like and I could I couldn't could not switch off I couldn't learn how to how to relax it how to train it how to keep it how to keep it relaxed allow me to compete um but those experiences 2016 2017 I think and again in my first world in cycling those things had to happen for me to have the approach that I have now to my training competition
0: firstly I want to apologize for interrupting the podcast however this will be a very brief message I wanted to give you some extra information about another service that the Samaritans offer. They have a self-help app online. All you need is your email address to sign up. And again, it's completely free. The app will offer you uh, the ability to track your mood daily and then spot patterns in how your mood may change through the week. We do this with our physical training anyway, where you track your training and you're always seeking to improve, but we don't tend to do this with our mental health. It's something that we should start doing so we can start to continue this state of improvement, both with ourselves physically on the side, but then mentally as well. They also offer some safe procedure planning. In the event of a crisis, it's important that we make sure that we mitigate all of the risks we can have on ourselves. And we can make a list within the app that then allows us to stop these things happening in the event of a crisis. Without further ado, let's get back into the episode Let's get back to Sam and continue to hear about his story. So, having mentioned some of the struggle you had with your your mind being at home, um, do you liken that almost to this imposter syndrome, where you didn't? I don't know if you've if you've heard of that that phrase. I mean, I've I've heard a few people deal with when they get to a certain stage, um, they just feel like they are there and they know they're there, but they don't feel like they should be there kind of thing. Was it, was it partly that?
1: I I, I think it was, it was, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome in that. I had that alone 2012 anyway, like just being given like you, the kit for the first time. And I didn't understand the gravitas of what I'd actually achieved until after the games. And I saw the parades in London. And I thought I've just gone to the highest level of our sport. And we were hosting like that. That will never happen again in in, in 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 history. And I managed to make it there in less in less than nine months of training in a sport I knew absolutely nothing about. Like by rights, I had no, no right, no right to be there among amongst those athletes. You know, jo- Johnny Peacock, David Weir, Hannah Cockcroft Alan Davies, Richard Whitehead. The list goes on and on. Like incredible athletes in their own right, and I had every every St- Stephen Miller as well. Like every right to be there. And I just kind of I, I learned to embrace it. But for for a long time, I I I think. What cr- what helped me deal with that was this idea of me allowing myself to be a part of that family, and when I say part of that family, I mean part of a family that that, that is disabled essentially. Like we're we're we'd say we're Paralympian, yes, but we're disabled, and now I I tick you know that box when they're like CVs or questionnaires. Do you have a disability, Do you have an impairment? I used to tick no for right. a very long time, and now I tick yes because I, I feel like I, by being part of this world, i have now accepted <laughs> part of me for, for 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 who it is. Um, so that that imposter syndrome. Lessened and lessened, but it was still there at the World Champs in 2020. Like, I, I went to my first Worlds uh, after a year of cycling. Like, and I, by up until that point, I'd raced on the track, I competed on the track twice. I had my third ever kilo time trial was at the World Championships in Canada, that was in January of 2020. So, even there, I thought to myself, what at times I thought, what am I doing here? I'm about to compete for Great Britain in, in another event, in another sport, and I've done this a grand total of twice. <laughs> it was it was just it's oh, absolutely absolutely um uh, insane but the phrase fake it till you make it rings uh has, has a lot to answer for mm-hmm. i think yeah. i like that mm-hmm.
0: um with the sort of what we discussed with what happened when you did shot uh, and you went to those Olympics and you didn't really achieve i think what you were aiming for like you said you, you ended up going to cycling was that again another coach driven thing or was it an interest for you because again we've gone from transitioning from track to then being all powerful in quick movements then hold on a minute i mean you know what a bike is but racing a bike i can imagine is completely different and you've effectively got to start again kind of later on into your athletic career how what drove that well you've all, we
1: always do a lot of cross training on the watt bike anyway right uh through athlete through any through athletics whether for conditioning and for low for low impact work as well so if you've sustained an injury you know you can you can still keep your conditioning and your cardio up without actually impacting your, your joints so cycling on the watt bike is really really good for that um i was i went back into team sports between between shot and between cycling i, I tried problems palsy football Mm-hmm. So that's that's a seven aside game, um, really really good fun. Just to just just standard Sunday league stuff. Um, to having a kick about with the boys like it was really really good fun. That was for Derby County and their 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 Sarah football team. That was really good fun. I did that for a year. Still staying in the gym. I I, I still trained like a performance athlete in the gym. But when it came to technical work. My work, my, my football. I, I kind of just let that be, I let that come uh, as, 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 as it did naturally. Um, and then I went to a UK Sport Talent Day. Uh, that was a lot. So that was on campus. I was at Loughborough, but we used that. My coach and I used that as, a, as an excuse to get some free numbers. So, so count movement jump, the what bite test, all the tests that they did, and they, they basically test you and put you into a sport. So yeah. I did the what bite test, and Phil Hogg, who at the time was the head of paratriathlon who I'd met in Rio said, "Sam, I, I know you can run because I, I know who you are. You just ran the hell out of that what by test. That was insane. Uh, how would you feel about swimming? I feel like, I don't swim. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not about to do a triathlon. But then John Lenton came up to me, who was the head of para try, uh, head of para cycling talent, uh, and he said, look, these numbers look really, really good. If you fit into classification, we you think you're going to fit into.'" Is, is, there's a very good possibility that you could be really competitive um, at the level but we need, to, we need we don't call us we'll call you basically okay. and you need, you need to do these tests again in Manchester to prove it wasn't a fluke um, but, but at this point in time it looks promising and that was that was in I want to say January December 2018 January 2019 yeah, that's right. when that's when the conversation
0: happened so it went pretty quick from a conversation to see last year in one minute 13 0.8 mm. 02, mm. something like that. Mm. Mm. Um, you bagged yourself a nice shiny thing to hang around your neck. Yeah, it's bad for <laughs> um, Yeah, you, you, you're the world champion at the mm. moment for men's C1 20, 2022. It was, yeah, yeah, 2022. Last, year's,
1: last year's world champs, yeah, kilometre.
0: So, how uh, was your preparation for that event different to obviously? The previous event was you'd ridden the bike twice probably isn't ideal going into a, a competition no, but for for previous events that you had done for some of the other sports how did you approach this differently was it a more experienced take would you say
1: yeah i think a lot more experience went into that that one minute 13 effort uh, and i also think just trusting trusting the work again, trusting the work that had been done up until that point previously. Um, again, finding of the fine line between being relaxed and aggressive, because obviously in a start, you've got to start a bike from the gates um, and you want to be really, really strong and powerful in that start, but you don't want to try too hard that you forget the process of, of going into um, the, the kilo in effect is essentially uh, it's a four lap race, but it, the first lap, the standing lap is absolutely everything. Like you, 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 it's not a. You don't need. You don't need to get that absolutely spot on. But but I like tell myself that that I can. I can and I will. Rather than need, I think there's 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 two very different ways to approach that. If you tell if you tell yourself I need to do this. Puts a necessary pressure on you and then the outcome for it, if it doesn't go the way you want it to, you thought, well, I need to and I, I needed to do it and I haven't done it. So now that's considered a failure. Whereas if I if I think to myself, well I can I can do it and I will do it, if it if the outcome doesn't go the way you do well, well at least you tried and there's there's now room to move forward, whether the idea of needing to do something produces the outcome that could be a failure that you can't you can't move you can't move out from. So from all of the all the conversation that we had around the start and preparing for the race um and not focusing too much on the time, like the outcome of it. Like I remember speaking to our to our psychologist, he came up with us in Paris, and he said, Sam, how do you feel about the race?" Like, I feel good. I'm fine. I'm rela- I'm, I'm I'm relaxed. Um, everyone would ask me as well, "How do you feel about the race?" Like, go like leading into it. Like, how do you feel? It's like, please don't gas me. Like, don't. Don't rile me up now. I don't I don't need to be fired up now. Like I'm calm, relaxed, let me be calm, let me be relaxed. Because in, in Rio 2016, in London 2017, I li- I went to bed, went to sleep, replaying like the, the big throws, like the big performances over and over and over again in my head. And when it came to the actual event itself, I was mentally exhausted because I've taken myself through that process repeatedly. I had nothing left to give. So Oh, naturally, I I save that juice, that that mindset for practice, for actual practice. That was on track, and when it came to um, when it came to to the actual event itself, I was like, Sam, how do you feel about the race? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm, I'm relaxed. But literally up until the the 20 minutes before I step onto the turbo to do my warm up and put my music in, that's when I start to get ready. And everyone says, w- when are you going to be ready for the race? I'll be ready when I get in the starting gate, when the beeps go. Three, two, one. That's when I'll be ready. Up until that point, because that's when I. That's when I'll need it all for. Don't bring me up to the boil, but before then, same thing. What do we do in game day? pre pregame. Like when we say when we do game day prayer and things like that. I like to keep the guys relaxed. Everyone has their own routine, but I like to keep the guys relaxed because you don't need the juice. Fifty minutes before kickoff, you need it. You need it as we're going into kickoff. And I think that 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 balance between being mentally ready but being physically ready and not over, not over, essentially it's overtraining. You're overtraining your brain when you're taking mm-hmm. it through, through through those processes. I generally, I generally believe that. So I just trusted the trusted the, the 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 thought process I was going through as approaching those championships. Is to say, I'm relaxed, I'm calm, and most importantly, I need to enjoy this. Because if I if I re- if I relax and I enjoy, I enjoy the feeling. I enjoy the thing of being ready and performing. When you're relaxed and you're happy, you you perform you, you perform at your best. Rather than have rather than putting pressure on yourself to I need to do this and I need to do that, the process of it um, is something that should be should be and should be enjoyable. And I knew that if I follow the process of that, if I get my start right, get my transition right, the rest of the race will take care of itself because I've trained really hard for this and I trusted my training. So a lot of that comes through trusting the training being relaxed and also remember to just remember to enjoy it like have fun because that's half the reason you know if we weren't having fun we'd have given up ages ago so yeah. that's something you always have to consider long answer <laughs> well
0: i mean it's interesting because I'd, I'd what i'd love to know um and i'll give you a little context to this this is far more simple in comparison to competing at a world championship <laughs> but yesterday i went to the gym And I had in mind that I wanted to get a personal record on overhead press. I went into the gym and the adrenaline was already sort of going. Because I knew it was the first exercise I was doing. And it was all happening too soon. Like I needed to get changed. I'd just come from work. All of this was going on. And I was thinking, God, well, I hope there's a squat rack free. Although it wouldn't be the end of the world if there wasn't (laughs) one. Because then I could just do this next week. But all of that was going on, and I ended up. I got there. I calmed myself down. I was able to do it. But what are your relaxation techniques? Because it's it's natural to start thinking. How do you pull yourself out of it? Um, so
1: again, I had a really good conversation with 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 the psychologist at World Champs. And he asked me, he, he asked me that question. I told him that like, when I go to when I go before I go to sleep at night, I, I have these I put myself I visualize, I visualize so hard that I literally I'm in that start gate. I can I can I can hear the crowd, I can hear the beeps, I do it. I was like, so, so what do you do when when you you ask me same the question, what do you do when you visualize that and you, you've, you've gassed yourself up and said I, I I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it. I I acknowledge it for what it is, I realise it. I I take account of my breathing, I, I listen to my heart rate. And I put myself back in where I physic where I physically am, rather you just than, present. yeah I, yeah essentially yeah again another cliche but I put myself back where I physically am and take stock of my breathing, my heart rate and and where, where, my, where my body is and said look look it, you'll be fine just and again rather than oh I should be doing this or I should be doing that like I, like you should be sleeping you know and, like the night before before a major event it's like I should be to sleep, I need my sleep it's like Again, it's that idea of I need to do this, and you start getting angry and upset and frustrated yourself because you're not doing what you should be doing. So again, it's just changing the way you speak to yourself in that moment and go like, just, just, just get some sleep. You'll Be fine. Just chill. And you have to go through. You have to go through that that process of putting yourself back in the room at least three or four or five times, even ten times in a night. You'll do it, and then eventually hopefully fingers crossed you'll start to relax and, and fall asleep or, you, or you'll start to relax and and be able to bring yourself forward to what you what you need to do so i think i think yeah it's it's being being present in in that in that particular moment but you've got to take yourself out of the out of the unpredictable future
0: <laughs> do you find that you almost uh like obviously not physically although you might be you end up sort of talking to yourself as if you were a third person mm-hmm. to sort of hold on a minute the rock says that person that's freaking out right now well that is you you need to stop doing that because there's no benefit of it so you end up sort of just reminding yourself as if you were another person it was your friend sitting there that's freaking out do you find that's sort of what you're doing yeah it's just not verbal yeah it's it's
1: it's it's it's, it's less it's not me like pulling myself away and there's like a ghost version of me saying come on sam pull it together um you are kind of you are separating yourself from that metaphysical version of yourself that's putting yourself in that situation where you want to perform and just just bringing that that bringing that that performance version of yourself back into your physical self and go look there's there's a time for you to be together like and work together now is not this time like it's it's going to keep separating it's going to want to keep going over there and and putting yourself in the future because that's part that's part of the body's natural defense mechanism ultimately at the end of the day but when you're when you're nervous or scared or anxious about about anything the body wants to defend itself and that could be a mechanism that it goes through and wants to prepare itself for what happens next the coping mechanism is bringing that metaphysical that that uh, that ghost version of you that's, that's that's anxious about what's happening next and trying to prepare for it just bring that ghost version back 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 within you and go look we need to work together on this we can't work yeah. separately again it's it's a t- it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team it's a, it's a team game between your mental self and your physical self you can't work one can't work without the other yeah. yeah
0: in terms of like you talk talk about the anxiety as well one of the more interesting questions i have for you is after you became world champion did it boost your confidence to now you know you're world champion you think of yourself that way or and it's happened in my case i i won a couple of things when i was in school and then come the next competition, I would be absolutely bricking it because now there's a target on my back. Yeah. Do you have that same sense or is it, have you just turned it into complete fuel? Like I want to retain this or is there some anxiety in there as well? Um,
1: I wouldn't say it's anxiety. It does add fuel to training sessions because you know... And, yeah, you, you do kind of put the target on your back and think people now want to take this from you, and that can be a source of motivation. People are coming to 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 reaffirm their status as an athlete, and it's obviously very extrinsic. You know, there's gold, silver, and bronze. Like, yeah. whatever medal you get, people can see your worth and your value. Um, and people have asked me already in lead-up to these World Championships this year and gone, Sam, but like, Day. The, the defending world champion again. <laughs> i think thinking to myself, yeah, I am defending the title, but if I go in there trying to defend the title, I'm not. I'm not going to have a good performance because I'm again, I'm thinking about the outcome, and that's something that I physically cannot control. I can control my race. I can control the process I need to follow to to put down the best race that I can. I can't control who's going to win the medals. Like as far as I'm concerned about PRs and PBs, if I focus on trying to race the best race that I can. I'm going to give myself the best chance of winning a medal, bronze, silver, or bronze. Best chance of defending the title. That's what. That's why I, I want to give myself the best chance to do that. I'll even say that. Say that to the guys before we. I don't want to timestamp it, but I'll say that to the guys before we play this weekend. Like we're trying to give ourselves the best chance that we can to win. There's no guarantee that we will win, but we need to put ourselves in the best situation that we can to actually to actually win and to do that we have to focus on the processes of it, like our plays our alignments our structures our, our you know our run fits we need to focus on those things so yeah defending the title is is, is something that I, I keep hearing and i keep just like banging away like a forehand yeah. like a like a backhand down the baseline because uh, the, again it's something that is not within my control and mm-hmm. that's that's energy that i can't yeah energy that i can't afford to spend on it because it's not going to be if what,
0: if what, if you're, what, you're using that sort of energy in your training sessions i would be interested to know what is uh, like a your training program um obviously it's got to be quite specific for cycling now how does someone that may be interested in getting into cycling or someone in fact with the same disability as you how do you train
1: uh, <laughs> uh sensibly I think, <laughs> I think i think i think is the best way to say um So today, for example, I had a session that was... uh, So a lot of our sessions are geared towards training certain systems in the body. So today's training was focused on building strength, endurance, and VO2 capacity. So the capacity of your lungs to use oxygen, use it effectively. Um, So you're going to be lying in the zone where you're not producing lac- you're not producing lactate. That's probably the most rudimentary way to talk about it. So it's obviously co- it's obviously working your heart incredibly hard, but you're not you're not you're not seriously putting yourself into a hole in terms of strength training. Um, whilst combining that for strength training in the gym, for example, I've got my, one of my heavier sessions like tomorrow morning where I'm gonna be squatting five, fours, threes and twos and then back up again and back squat. Um so i'm physically a lot stronger than i was this time last year because of my 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 form has changed drastically because of di- very very subtle changes to to my knee to the way my knees track and the way my ankles track mm-hmm. and again that's really helped improve my form so that that's really pushed us forward but the type of training that we're doing at the moment will 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 go more to the road so we're going we're getting ready for the road so time trials and road racing because we're having to double up at the the Paralympics so it'll be less track focused and as we go more towards summer when track season will come upon us that's when we'll start doing more more power work more speed work so work that's more suited to those shorter faster efforts but if the base is really really big and you build all the way up to the top of the pyramid the top pyramid is going to be really really strong because the base endurance and the base vo2 um is naturally going to make me a better rider for example i'm gonna, I'm gonna say this and i'm gonna stop because i know it have gone on for a while um so my kilo my kilo at um at the Derby hit-out. So we had, a, we had a practice kilo before Worlds, a week yeah. before Worlds, before we started tapering. Before You, you kind of shut the body down. You, you, take, you, take, you take the training down. You let the body recover more. High-quality sessions leading into a World Champs. So we had a hit-out, a practice race. I did it in 1.15. Uh, 1 so two seconds off what I would have done at Worlds, but conditions were affected, etc., etc. My standing lap was, was really quick, like 22.6. And my, the midpoint of my race, the mid 500, was probably somewhere in the in the, in the mid-17s. So we looked at that. Okay, that's fine. That's really, really good. Went to Worlds, had a great time. Won the title. Fantastic. Go to Nationals after having a huge block of VO2 training. Go to Nationals this year. I go a second quicker. My standing lap is much slower. So Because we, because, because we not put the power in, not put the length in. But my mid 500 is much quicker. It's in, it's in it's in the high 16s as opposed right. to the mid 17s. Yeah. So I can now hold that mid 500 for much longer and the drop off is much slower because of the VO2 base. But what suffered as a result of that is the standing lap because the standing lap requires a lot of power and a lot of speed and that requires a lot of torque which you can only build in the gym through power training. So I had to really wrestle with that in the outcome and go, I'm quicker but my standing lap isn't as good. So through all these training phases you have to be at peace with the idea that you're not going to be as good as you are because your training hasn't allowed for it so you can't get frustrated or concerned I'm, I'm not where I should be well no you're not where you should be because the training hasn't allowed for you to be there um, Yet, and I, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. that—that—that's the key word. yeah. So, again, a lot of it is around trusting, trusting the process. And I've had conversations with my coach recently about how bored I'm getting with this VO two training because you know I'm—I don't—I feel like I've plateaued and I've not got not gotten what, what I want out of it. But he said, no, you have to have to keep going with this because if you keep if you keep ticking the boxes and keep going through these sessions, I promise you that when it comes to the power and the length and the speed training, you'll you will absolutely fly. Just just like stick with me on this and keep going with it because. That trust between coach and athlete is something you really have to. Yeah, you, you put a lot of trust in it in a person to bring you to that yeah. level. So yeah, we, we we've had a few tough conversations, but we've ironed it
0: out. Do you ever? Do you ever do? I mean, some cheat. I've had some coaches in the past for various things, and they'll write me a plan, and I'll do it. And then, like you said, you get a little bit bored. Do you ever sneak off and do a couple of accessory lifts just to yeah. keep it exciting? Yeah.
1: To, to sit here and say, this, say that I haven't done. <laughs> My own training uh, yeah. would, would 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 be a lie. There are some, there are some, but I I am smarter with it now. So I, yeah. I might I might see a lift or I might see an exercise which I'm I don't really fancy that. But I know which lift or exercise I can go to that's going to give me the same adaptation. Yeah. So whereas in previous years I just do what I want, but now yeah. I realise that yeah. The session's been planned this way for a reason. For example, I said to my coach about the VO two sessions. Look, I'm sick of doing like twenty minute efforts. Can we attack this in a different way? So it's like, well, yeah. Let's let's do five. Let's do four times five minutes. Yeah. Let's let's do it that way. It's like, please, thank you. Can I have some variety? Like, because we can re- we can reach the same goal. Yeah. Just in a different just in a different way. So it, it was to his credit that he was able to to see that there's there's more than one way to reach to reach a tra- a training goal or a training outcome.
0: And you feel like this, this must be building sort of your knowledge further and further about the way you can train and the way other people might be training just through, through your coach.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and also me, me being a coach as well has only helped enhance that relationship. So when he asks me something, um, how are you feeling, like how's training going, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, or he, he gives me a program or gives me a particular part of the training. I can respectfully ask him, look, you tell me why we're doing this this way so I can buy into it. So if I if I understand it more, I can dedicate myself to the program because I because I know the reason why it's been put there in the first place. I can have those conversations with him, frankly, rather than uh, and, I, and I, as an athlete that's thirty three years old, a younger athlete who say in their mid twenties or early twenties, feels like they have a coach and they're the be all and end all, like they're almost like the god in this situation. And for me to question them would be to not be grateful or not be receptive to to the training or not appreciate what's being done. Um, you have to ask those questions not necessarily what you do it's the way in which you do it and every athlete i think should take or take ownership of their training take autonomy of their training like because it's, it's, your, career. it's your career it's your career it's your career the idea at the, the, the end of the day the coach is there as a, as a conduit to help you and guide you um a, a, and assist you and to that point I've, I've i've never really gotten on well with the coaches that, that talk about my athletes like, right. as, 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 as if it's a point of ownership yeah like this that like, this is my athlete that no, 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 this is um this like these are our athletes like you know my cut co- joe was always saying like i would never done that with our athletes so everybody feels like they they own the ecosystem within yeah. within, within, within which they exist which is a so everybody the everybody then is held accountable yeah if so, if something were to go wrong or to go right everyone's then held accountable because you took ownership of your training i wrote your training you took ownership of it if, if if things don't happen we're both accountable then and now we can meet in the middle and figure out what went wrong or what went right and how we can improve it
0: I like the sound of how much you're absorbing and sort of applying into the coaching that you do now. I, I'm not at all wanting to say that your career is even close to being the end, you're still quite a young person. You look <laughs> at all some of, some of the um, athletes out there now are going into their late 40s. So is, yeah. the, is the-
1: Lebron in LeBron, year 20. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And
0: and do you sort of, what's, the, what's, what's next? Obviously you've got world champs this year, you're preparing for that, don't want to distract you from that. Have, I don't even want you to think about planning out your next ten years of your life. That's not what I'm asking. <laughs> but have you got sort of a, a goal of what you want to move into? Is there coaching something really interesting to you, or would you rather stick to what you do now?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would. I would love to coach um, and, and and mentor as well. I think being a being part of a, of an athlete services or a game services environment, whether it be a performance director, effectively head coach of a team. Um, would be something that would really interest me. Like I've, I've learned so much um, in in this space and want to pay want to pay it on and, and and pass it forward. Uh, so yeah, world this year, Paris for the Paralympic Games twenty twenty four. I might think about continuing for another four years to go to LA because of the American games. Come on, no one. you don't want to say I no mean, to it's California, LA, isn't it? Yeah, uh, exactly. the West Coast Olympic. That's like the 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 World Series, the Super Bowl, NBA Finals all run up into one. Like, bro, you can't you can't say no to that. Uh, but that is another four years of my life that I dedicate to just this one thing. Um, but I think that's what's helped me get through a lot of those difficult times is me having something else to identify myself with rather than just being an athlete that's what hurt me so much after Rio uh, I looked at what I'd done and thought well what what worth do I have now to anybody like I put all my worth into this thing here's the outcome sixth place finish one meet less than my own pb I don't I didn't feel like I had anything to, to offer whereas now I, I've got my my eye my 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 my, my um my eyes in so many different avenues but i i know now how to compartmentalize each thing so i know when to give each each part of it my energy so now if so if i have a bad training day i'm not gonna pull myself into the hole and go well well no you're rubbish like what, what next I, I i can go coach i can go mentor if i have a bad mentor day, i can go and train so i i now have other ways where i can attribute value and not and not, not bring myself down to a level which is going to be um detrimental but that's what the future holds well we'll we'll see i i like i like to go with the flow um Definitely. but but i don't but i i know that without structure my life would literally fall apart
0: yeah, but you'll find <laughs> i think a lot of athletes would say the you're same you're using you're using your structure to like you said find these other healthy ways to give yourself personal value mm-hmm. which i guess gives you not just refreshment it, it, it's, it's where
1: a lot of athletes struggle towards the end of their career even in the right. middle of their career when 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 it all comes to and they've got a box of medals and what, this is all. This is all. It, this is all I have to show for it. Like yeah. you, you look back immediately on the feeling of what what happened when you won that title, when you won that, when you when you achieved that thing, that like PB. That's the the feeling is, is the memory. Like like guys in the locker room. Like those are the memories. Those are the feelings that you that, that bring you the most joy. But it's not the actual. Physical thing that you can put on a trophy, you can put on it on a trophy cabinet or put in a box. It doesn't, it, it, it won't it won't bring you any satisfaction, but 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 the memory, but the memories memories actually will. So you need to start thinking about making making new ones in other ways, that, so you can get that feeling back of of working towards something I and mean, being proud of being proud of what you what you achieved.
0: I, I can genuinely say that I wish I had had this conversation with you years before, <laughs> and I'm I'm hoping that other people listening to this would get that because there were times where I I've I've gone home. And my mum's gone, oh, look what I found on the stairs. And I just have a bunch of stuff. And at the time, they mattered so much to me. And then I look back and I, I realize that I missed out on a lot of things because I sacrificed some time to do those things. And they didn't really bring me any other pleasure apart from the fact that at that time, I had this metal thing that was probably <laughs> made in a ridiculously cheap condition. And that, that's what it is. And, and now, yeah, I look back on it as a fond childhood memory of like, oh, I won this, I did this with this team, but... As a kid, I, I feel like I must have been a bit lost in my identity, really. And I think when you're a teenager growing up and you're really looking for your identity, that's a huge thing to be able to have is to find other, other things about you. And sort of, it's not, you shouldn't feel guilty investing time into those. Mm. Um, because in the long run, it can actually have a positive effect on your main focus, mm. like you're having now. Add
1: value to it. Yeah,
0: you're getting, you know that when you apply your time to cycling, you can really apply it. And like you said, if you have a bad session, it's not the end of the world because you can go and have a good coaching session or, or distract yourself from it or, and do something else positive with it. I think that's huge. Is there, is there any other huge advice that comes <laughs> to mind for other, other people like, well, like me or, or just sort of people that might even just go to the gym a few days a week and, and they do that to stay healthier? Is there any advice you've learned through your training and your years of experience in competing that you think you'd pass on?
1: the grind is a myth
0: okay that's a statement
1: the grind is a myth there's no such thing okay. as the grind uh, there's a time to grind and there's a time to not to not grind there's a time to uh, uh, there's there's a time to to be 100% and there's a time to not be and phys- i believe physically it's impossible to be switched on 100% of the time and to give you 100% best effort Every single session, because there'll be days where you wake up. I mean, I, I do this for a living; like it's my job. There are days where I wake up, where I don't want to go to work. <laughs> like yeah. there are days we all have days we don't. We just don't want to go to work today. Yeah. Um. And you need to. It's it's like it's like the uh, the, the ten spoon concept. Like you'll wake up with with like eight spoons, and going going to have breakfast will cost you six spoons. You've only you've only got two spoons left to spend on the rest of the day. So you need to spend spend your spoons wisely. So I think get um. Think of yourself as, as, as an organism that that, that changes and moves and, 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 and make allowances for it. When you are hundred percent, you're feeling great. Like go for it. Like go in and like be on your grind if that's how you feel. If you if you don't feel it, um, then cut yourself cut yourself some slack and turn up as much as you can. But turn up. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Like, d- don't, don't, don't shy away from it. Like, people say, you know, the the, hard, the best work is done when, you when, you know, when you, when you're not feeling it, and you go to the gym anyway. That's where the best work is done. Yeah, turn up, but don't drive yourself into the ground when you get there. Like, do, do what you know you can. Rest and recover, and give yourself a chance to to get to that 100 percent mark. Yeah, the, gr- the the grind is a myth. You've, you've got, you've got to give yourself time to relax and and uh, and recover and, and rest. Like, you can't be into it all the time. But when you have that chance to be hundred percent. Go for it because that's that's where the best work happens.
0: I think it's really interesting what you said something um, a little while back in our conversation as well about the fact that you can overtrain your mind, and I think that massively ties into what you're saying there. Is people don't respect the fact that the mind is it's not a, it's not like a physical muscle. It's an mm-hmm. it's an organ, but it, with your brain, but you can completely overtrain things just by putting too much stress on one particular thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if i would i'm personally going to take that away and i will sort of look out for that in my life if if i'm investing too much time into into one thing and i'm stressing myself out about it in fact i might be doing the complete opposite of what i should be doing (laughs) taking a break is actually a healthy thing to do and it's okay Mm -hmm. um i think that's really huge and i think that'll probably be my main takeaway that i can pull into my life um from all i mean there's a lot of stuff we've covered there and i'm I'm really really thankful (laughs) i've (laughs) I've had this conversation like i said i wish i'd had it a few years earlier Um and I just wanted to sort of before we, we round things off, you're having some of those conversations with some younger people, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So the the other work that I do as as well as coaching is mentoring. So so one part of the mentoring is for the Youth Sport Trust, they're a secondary school charity. Uh working in P in school sport and the other charity is one called Inspire Plus. They're based in Lincolnshire. Really one of the most deprived counties um, in, in the country so our work is incredibly incredibly valuable um, in that space uh, but it's about well-being mentoring so ask, just speaking with kids a lot about how, how are they doing what are they are working towards if if they don't if they don't think they think they're working towards anything, is there something that they think they can they can contribute? Um, and changing the question around w- rather than what do you want to do for a living? Because a lot of kids don't have no clue at that at that age of like from 11 to 16. Like I, I don't know. Uh, they might want to be YouTube stars and, and drink Prime, but you know. <laughs> but but you know. Uh, but but for the most part, a lot of them don't don't really know what's going because because the, fu- the, fu- the future the future the picture is bleak yeah. at the minute. So for them, it's rare. So an easier question an easier question to. Ask Ask them is who do you, who do you want to be, mm-hmm. rather than what do you want to be? Because who do you want to be is an easy, easy question to answer. Like who do you want to be? What are you like around your mates, your friends, your family? Like what part of you is is valuable in that sense? Because people want to people want to, want that in they want that in their business. Whether you're self-employed or whether you work for someone else, they want they want those kinds of people. People that know who they are and what they can bring, rather than this rather than their skills. Um, you've, you've only got to look at the employment landscape now to know that that especially after COVID and lockdown, like. That the office nine to five, that way of working is dead. Yeah. It's dead now. People people gravitate towards personable people, not not just not just their skill set, not just what they're bringing, but who but who it is about them that they're bringing, and how can they enhance the company, enhance the business. So yeah, I think that kind of attitude is that kind of talk is is really valuable to young people, especially in their journey through education and out and and in some cases out of education, because for a lot of them they're not quite sure where to go next. Yeah, but and, that's that's important.
0: You've mentioned uh, a couple of the... So it was Inspire Plus and what was the other one? The Youth Sport Trust. The Youth Sport Trust. Is there... Obviously, you've done a massive favour. I'm assuming you're doing a massive favour to them. You've done a (laughs) massive favour to me and anyone listening here on what you've shared. Is there anything that you would like to plug additionally even if it's just your own instagram for people to follow i mean some people have been watching and have had the pleasure of seeing your face but the people that might just be listening um how can they find you what else can they support uh
1: i i think just uh, just get involved with uh with with the british cycling uh, Lim- limitless program so it's, there's that Power cycling program their new program so if everyone wants to check out that website and just have a little look and see if there's anybody that they know within their own spheres, their own circles that could benefit from a programme like uh, like the Limitless programme um, and just, 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 be, just, just be a good human. Be a good human. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Be a good human.
0: Um, on, on that note, um, again, thank you very much for coming on. Um, what I'll say is anyone listening to this, uh, more information about Sam will be appearing on the Instagram page, which is where most of the information comes out at the minute, which you can find uh, at mindsets underscore podcast. There is, yeah. Follow the pod, please. Share it. um, Get it out there, uh, so we can get a bigger reach on some other people. And if you feel like you have a story and you want to come on, uh, this isn't a podcast just for world champions. This is a podcast for anyone, um, as long as there's a story to tell. So, feel free to email. Um, There's a bunch of information probably floating somewhere right now (laughs) about how you can get in contact. But we do have an email. Um, Obviously, we've got the YouTube where you're watching this. If you are watching, Uh, there is a TikTok. Uh, i'm not huge on tiktok but uh it's pretty much everything that's on instagram so uh if you're if you're in one of those places you'll see a lot of these updates so please don't hold back feel free to get in touch and um as sam said follow the pod and uh and share if you can um thanks very much for listening and uh, i look forward to talking to you in the next episode